and I remember years ago Scott Peck saying something like, you know, imagine if in humanity's explicit search for sex is an implicit search for God. And I think sometimes, you know, we just put everything, humanity's yearning for connection with one another. You know, we put, we just kind of put a lot of that, especially when it's manifest in sexual stuff, we see it all as this negative and this sin and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Where in reality, it's just a yearning <laughs> for connection, um, which again, you know, when it's met in the human, it's, it's also points us to the one beyond that, to the connection with God. You're listening to Restoring the Soul with Michael John Cusick. Welcome to the program. I'm Michael John Cusick. There's nothing quite like the subject of sex and sexuality to expose what can seem like an unbridgeable chasm between the church and the secular world in which we live. Relationships, identities, orientations, and even seemingly straightforward concepts like gender have cut battle lines between the church and the world. My conversation today is with Deborah Hirsch, author of Redeeming Sex, Naked Conversations About Sexuality and Spirituality. Deb is a speaker, church leader, and writer who has led church movements in Australia and Los Angeles. She's one of the founders of Forge Mission Training Network and also serves as a board member for Missio Alliance and was part of the leadership team of Christian Associates, a church planning movement in Europe, North, and South America. Deb is the co-author with Alan Hirsch of Untamed, Reactivating a Missional Form of Discipleship, and her book Redeeming Sex reflects her own journey and attempts to bring new conversations about sexuality into the context of the church. Deb has been involved in social work, community development, and she's worked as a trained counselor in the field of sexuality for over 25 years. She and her husband live in community with others in Los Angeles. So let's jump in now to my conversation with Deborah Hirsch. Deb Hirsch, thanks so much for being on the Restoring the Soul podcast today. It's an honor to be on the podcast. Thank you for inviting me. Well, writing your book, Redeeming Sex, was no academic exercise. Tell me about how the book came to be written. Well, well, that's a good question in many ways. Um, I think partly my life has been immersed among people where sexuality has been something that's, I, I don't even know how to say it, it's been something that's been prominent in their lives, for want of a better way of trying to explain that. Um, so my whole, I guess, part of the impetus for writing the book really is, is just, um, my increasing concern over the years of, of how little, um, or how well we navigate this conversation in the, you know, in the broader context of the church. Um, I mean, I don't think we particularly do it well in broader culture either, <laughs> but, but certainly less so in the context of the community of believers. And so I guess, um, part of it, uh, you know, myself coming from a background where sexuality was, you know, part of uh, my identity um, and stepping into a context, you know, when I first originally found faith, stepping into a context where um, a lot of things that I would have discussed or would have been normal talk or normal uh, life experience and sharing, uh, there was, you know, quite a strong silence um, around all things sexual in the church. And so I found that... Um, well, to be honest, I found it kind of 
a curious oddity <laughs> at the beginning. Um, and I increasingly realized it's actually quite a, uh, a strong dysfunction in the church. Yeah, you, you, you describe a lot of stories in the book um, where the rules are in place, but there's no conversation about the quote-unquote rules. Even in your, your pre-faith days where you were, you were living as a lesbian and you and a, a gay male roommate applied to seminary, never thinking that it would be an issue to be roommates. Tell me about that story. Yeah, I mean, look, honestly, when I think back now, I think, well, even if I talk about that now, I think people must have thought how naive I was. Uh, and I can appreciate that. But it's, it really was quite a shock to us. We had, um, up to that point, had shared a room. We, prior to that, had shared a bed and, um, and then, uh, applied for college and in all innocence, uh, literally just wrote each other's name on the, uh, entry, you know, the, uh, application. Uh, to to be able to go there and yeah we were completely shocked actually when we were hauled into the <laughs> dean's office <laughs> um, you know I think honestly I think she thought we were probably I don't know if she thought we were mocking or but I think she soon realized that we were quite innocent in it and hadn't realized and um, yeah so that was an interesting season for us we, we used to call it it was it was back in Melbourne in Australia and it was kind of the the whole seminary was built on a hill um, in the outer suburbs of Melbourne and we used to, you know, come back to the real world on the weekends and then we'd go back to the holy huddle on the hill, which was right. our, our seminary experience. And it was kind of interesting in those early days because it was almost like living in two different worlds. Culturally speaking, it was two different worlds. And so it was um, – it was kind of a fascinating experience. And, and the other thing, of course, with that was um, our dear Mark, who is, you know, our, our dear friend today, who was the other guy, that, the guy I was talking about, he ended up rooming with Alan because Alan was already there and had been there for a year. And, um, I mean, we used to laugh because even, you know, Mark's uh, homosexuality wasn't even taken into consideration. Like, <laughs> just think, well, we put men with men and, and women with women, but what if they have a gay orientation? I mean, none of that was even, it wasn't even a remote possibility in their minds. <laughs> so it was right. quite, quite fascinating. Well, there's something endearing about that story in the book because not only were you not mocking, but you were very sincere about wanting to be educated in the ways of Christianity, yes. uh, but that you were so innocent and, and young that you didn't know that. And it, I think it's a commentary on how the church thinks about, quote, outsiders. Yeah. Oh, yes, for sure. Um, yeah, and as I, I said earlier, you know, it was kind of a strange you know, I was uh, I was more curious about some of those things initially, and I think um, probably a lot more. You know, just okay. Well, this is the culture, and just trying to navigate it all. But then realizing, um, you know, how really rules or boundaries um, without you know more often than not, um, I experience them in the context of the church as a shortcut to real growth and maturity. And I find that um, I just don't understand why we lock ourselves in that because I, I feel particularly in areas of sexuality, uh, we we know less about ourselves because of those rules and boundaries. Um, we haven't had to navigate the hard, tough stuff of what it is to negotiate cross-sex friendships when you, you know, assuming people are straight when I'm talking about that. You know, or any relationships where there might might or might not be various attractions that occur, 
uh, you know, we, we, we shortcut it by just putting boundaries. So we're never having to face and navigate some of our emotions, some of our attractions, some of our m- motivations and all of that sort of stuff. And so I, I find that we end up with a whole bunch of people that are half stunted or half adults, <laughs> which is really unfortunate. Yeah, I uh, I follow you on Facebook, and which of course means that we're very very close friends. Uh, <laughs> and uh, and when the vice president uh, a couple of weeks ago came out the article about him not being uh, having lunch with a woman who's not his wife, that that was such a controversial thing. And I and I saw a comment from you as an Australian about I forget the exact words, but something about if this is the church, you know, then God help us all. And so say more about that idea of how navigating the the potential uh, dangers of something like that with what is required of us internally, how that could help us grow. Well, yeah, well, that was uh, the comment I think I made there was uh, about the relevant article, which has since been taken down, I believe. There was such a kind of a backlash against it about whether we should or shouldn't tweet with the opposite sex. Ah, yes. <laughs> and then the, the uh, Pence thing, I think, came came after that. I didn't, I didn't even comment on that because <laughs> I saw a lot of the stuff related to that and I thought it really is quite – it's good to see actually that there's such a backlash within the church uh, now when those sorts of boundaries just get thrown out there without a lot of thought or thinking or ramifications. So, well – I think what I said is it's it's much easier to shortcut our own internal growth by putting in boundaries and just keep ourselves out of the way of all potential or possible harm or emotional connection or feeling too deeply for somebody and all that sort of stuff. Um, I, I think part of it is is we actually fear feeling. Um, you, we don't know what to do with it, and and but if we have to ask ourselves, you know, if God created us. Um, as men and women with such a depth um, of emotion and a depth of, or capacity to feel deeply for one another, um, then then maybe we're meant to we're meant to kind of engage in that and begin to feel more. And I think I think we're very afraid of that. Um, we don't quite know what to do with it all. And we and I think part of the the issue is we have no categories for it because we've not uh, we've not navigated it well. So. I mean, just a really practical thing, and I, I don't want to maybe go too far down this path, but, you know, when I'm talking um, on sexuality in different places, particularly when I'm working with uh, youth leaders, um, one of the things that comes up again and again, particularly related to the LGBT community um, or conversations around that, is a lot of uh, youth leaders say to me that um Many, many of their women, you know, some of them say to me, half of the women in my youth group are identifying as lesbian now. Now, there's lots to be said about that, but um, I think one of the reasons for that is that women um, just have these kind of natural attractions to one another or these, these natural need for these deep emotional connections. I mean, it's you ask any woman and she'll look back in her history at that girlfriend that she had at school, that, that they were just kind of living out of each other's back pockets in a sense or, you know, I, that was certainly a, an experience that I had and, um, you know, had nothing to do with sexual attraction in the narrow sense of the word. Um, and But it was just this deep bonding and I think 
uh, broader culture now is giving a label to that type of depth or, or level of emotion that uh, let's just talk about the women now that they are experiencing. And so uh, young women are self-identifying as lesbian because uh, and some of them might be lesbian, but I'm going to suggest that probably a whole lot of them are not in the sense that they're just experiencing these deep, profound emotional bondings with, with their friend at school. And because in the church we haven't given them a language or a category to put that in, um, you know, broader culture is giving them a category and so they're self-identifying. And um, so that's just one example of our lack of understanding some of this stuff that is causing us to um, assume other things that maybe are not quite the reality of, of what it is. Um, th- does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And it seems like the Christian conversation around sexuality is what I call the danger Will Robinson uh, phrase from the, from the <laughs> 1970s. I'm not sure if you got to watch Lost in Space in Australia. Yes, I, did. I love Lost in Space. Yeah, so sex yeah. equals danger, 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 as opposed to the fact that there are these deeper realities, both in terms of our connectedness to God and our, our connectedness to other. But let me back up. You talked about sexuality in the narrow sense. How would you define sexuality in the broader sense? Well, I think there are different components to our sexuality, and I think um, – you know, I think we kind of narrow, if we say the word sexuality, our scripting uh, for most of us is, um, you know, we just go straight to the things of sex. And so I think that, um, you know, we've we've reduced everything about sexuality down to the act of sex, which I think is really unfortunate. And I think it's one of the things that we need to break free of in, in order to revision a new understanding of human sexuality, particularly in the church. Um, is to say, well, it's much bigger than just the act of sex. So, um, so I talk about it from three perspectives. I talk about our gender sexuality, our social sexuality, and then our genital sexuality. And, and I use those categories to kind of, again, it, it's hard to necessarily pull them all completely apart. Um, but if we just look at them as, as aspects that we can talk about as unique aspects, but also very interwoven. So, um, I find that's helpful for helping us understand how we, um, you know, all the the parts of that God has given us in our sexuality, but also to distinguish between uh, genital and non-genital. I think it's really right. important. Right, yeah. So can you just give a couple of words to each of those, the gender, the social and genital sexuality? Well, I think, well, we know gender. I think, again, this is a very big conversation in broader culture at the moment, Um and, you know, in the context of the church, we still very much see, say, our gender sexuality as our gender being our biological sex. Um, and so I'm, I'm constantly having to say to people, well, no, it's not exactly the same thing. Um, so I would say, uh, you know, our gender sexuality or our gender identity, um, you know, gen- gender is more about, you know, how we live and how we navigate what it is to be a man and a woman um, in our culture and what are the characteristics, the roles and all the things that we might associate with masculinity and femininity and um, or what I kind of call, you know, the, 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 the blue and the pink playgrounds that we get to navigate um, as people. And I think we've got to, again, we've got to start talking more and more about that in the context of the church because 
you know, I, I feel fear that we're getting very, very behind in some of these things. <laughs> like, you know, I think we're still trying to, we're st- wrestling and struggling with um, the roles of men and women in the church. I mean, our, our conversation around gender is limited to that, and yet broader culture is redefining what it is to be male and female, and we're, we're still arguing over roles. Um so anyway, that's one aspect of our sexuality. And then the, the other two are the, the more relational parts of who we are. And I think, you know, our social sexuality, uh, being the non-genital uh, sexual stuff is, is more about our needs for intimacy, emotional connection, uh, our need to be in community with one another, our need to bond psychologically, spiritually, physically, you know, with non-erotic touch, you know, the importance of that in our lives. Um, and then, of course, our genital sexuality is the stuff, you know, around, you know, intercourse and sex and all of that. And I think, you know, and again, any genital uh, sexual relationship one might have is in the context, hopefully, in a, in a broader social sense, although, you know, we know that there are some even vocations that have very minimal social connection, but it's, you know, it's more about sex and it's for payment and all that kind of stuff. So, um yeah, just I guess just recognizing the different needs that humans have and not throwing everything about sexuality into the sex basket because that sometimes can be the narrowest part of who we are, even though it might feel like the strongest or the most dominant. Yes. Um, and along those lines, you had uh, said many times in the book, and I think it might even be the subtitle, forgive me for not remembering it, the idea that sexuality and spirituality are really two sides of the same coin. Talk about that and specifically what the implications of that are for the church and for individuals. I think if you if you get right down to the heart of it, there's a you know with all of us we know this it's our human the human experience. There's a there's a deep yearning and longing that each of us has, um, and we're very good in the context of the church of talking about the God hole or the God vacuum. Um, you know, which that we that we fill with all sorts of things sometimes, not God. And um, but there's a, a longing to know and be known by you know by what I call the capital O other beyond us, uh, which in a sense you know we we name that as believers, we name that in and through the person of Jesus Christ, and we get to know God um, through Jesus. And I think um, you know that's it, there's that longing, that's that spiritual longing that we have, and and I think. Not that we, I guess we can ever overemphasize that, but I think in the context of the church, we're focusing on that a lot, but we forget about the human yearning or longing, you know, maybe the person-shaped hole <laughs> that we have within us. And I think, um, you know, we talk about relationships and that, but again, we it's so many of our relationships are still at a very shallow level, I guess. Um, and again, because we're afraid of what it is to really love one another and to feel deeply, even passionately for one another, you know, and you, you have, there has to be a level of, um, you know, if we're called to die for one another, for goodness sake, there's got to be a level of commitment and, and, uh, love there. And I think that we don't, we don't tend to talk a lot about that again, because it's, it's that scary stuff. It's because we do have yearnings and we're fearful because we are. You know, we do long for connection. I mean, it's how we're created. Um, but we stumble around, don't we? <laughs> we you know, we overconnect and disconnect and all of that kind of stuff. But I do think we, we must bring those two yearnings back together again because I think one does mirror the other. Um, and I'm often, you know, when you think of broader culture, um, 
you know, and you're thinking, I remember years ago Scott Peck saying something like, you know, imagine if in humanity's explicit search for sex is an implicit search for God. And, um, and I think sometimes, you know, we just put everything, humanity's yearning for connection with one another. You know, we put, we just kind of put a lot of that, especially when it's manifest in sexual stuff, we see it all as this negative and this sin and, you know, all, you know, all that kind of stuff. Where in reality, it's just a yearning, <laughs> the connection, um, which again, you know, when it's met in the human, it's, it's also points us to the one beyond that, to the connection with God. Um, and I think once we get that, I think it changes everything, to be honest. Um, but it's hard to navigate some of that stuff. I still find, you know, when I'm talking to people, uh, talking about the connections between sexuality and spirituality, people, they might get it as I'm describing it, but it's still such a very foreign concept. And because, again, we don't talk about it very very often. And when people do make the connections, it's all sometimes done in this high kind of spiritual language that I think people find hard to navigate. So it, it's just, it's again, it's that, that weird thing to me that, that in 2,000 years we haven't done this well, <laughs> you know, or, or haven't even found a language which how to communicate this. It's all still... Uh, very odd, and we keep it very, very separate. Well, your book, I think your book goes a long way in helping people to develop that language, but also to nurture the conversation. So thank you for that. Well, I think partly what I tried to do in the book really is um, is just talk in a normal language, get it out of the, you know, I don't know. There is, it seems to be a, a different world. Uh, when we talk about sexuality, we have a different language and a different tone in our voice. <laughs> <laughs> I I loved some of the some of the quotes and the the different people that you quoted, and and one of them was the famous writer Anonymous, who uh, said that the problem with being an atheist is that when you have an orgasm, there's no one to thank, <laughs> or some something along those lines, yes, and right. those those kinds of things uh, are disarming and help people not to take it so serious. Yeah, and and I think that's what we've got to do. We've got to, uh, we, we've got to stop taking it so seriously. Yes, it's serious on the one hand, but on the other hand, it's it's life. You know, this is this is core to our humanity. You know, and who we are. And it's you know, I, I often laugh with people. I say, you know, God, God kind of. I don't think God blushes um, like we do, or He doesn't talk in a whisper when it's time to talk about sexuality. You know. In fact, I think he's very intentional in using sexual metaphors to describe his relationship with his people, both in the Old and the New Testaments, and has no qualms with letting all the mess of broken sexuality be revealed in the pages of the holy book too, you know. And I think he's, you know, we've we prettied a lot of it up in our English in the translation. We kind of make it all a little bit more palatable for our, you know, kind of Victorian sensibilities, if you like. Um but you know, so often in the Hebrew, when you read it in the original text, you know it's it's pretty graphic. <laughs> it's just it's just raw and it's just real and it's just kind of like, yep, yeah, this is this is the messiness of human life and human sexuality and you know. But we just we pick ourselves up and we move on. And um, but it, it doesn't seem to be that freeing kind of thing in the context of the church. You know, we've we've failed to put grace into this conversation, which is really unfortunate. Um, 
so tell me about how you in your ministry and in your friendships and relationships, um, how you infuse grace into the sexual conversation. Well, I think part of it is just normalizing it. Um, you know, just normalizing it, it is just, this is just part of life and part of who we are and God created us that way. And I think, um, you know, people have got to get a sense of that first because, you know, so many people still see it as the playground of the devil or, again, and, you know, see it as a very narrow thing. But I think also just the way we engage people for, for uh, you know, and I don't know how this happened, but I think it really, if we think about our little totem pole of sins in the context of the church, the, the sins of a sexual nature, and, again, it's a very narrow sexual nature, it's a genital sexual sins, get right on the top of the the totem pole and they're the ones that are, have got, you know, that's always associated with a lot of shame and we, we shame people. We make them feel guilty when they've sinned sexually, yet we we forget to address a whole lot of other things in the church. So, you know, and, it, and it's kind of, it's just so sad because it's, you know, our sexuality is, is you know, that part of ourselves that is very vulnerable. Um. And it's the place that needs the most grace, I think, and yet we often give it the least grace. So, you know, I'm all about regracing sexuality. I think it's the way forward, and I think it's part of our message of hope uh, to a broken world out there. Say more about what you mean by regracing sexuality. Not making it such a big deal. Um, again, you know, normalizing it or, you know, why, why should the, you know, I mean, I think often with, um, you know, the, the testimonies and that, you know, it's, oh, I'm free from this sexual sin or that sexual sin or, um, you know, well, I don't hear many people being freed from greed or you know, <laughs> they seem to be the big ones and, you know, or the, the ones that we hide more than, more than other things, you know. So I just think we've got to to say why why are we judging these ones as as worse than other types of sins and i think we've got to we've got to level out that we've got to become more consistent and i think in doing that it takes away some of the uh and and i don't want to diminish sin here please hear me on this i don't want to uh diminish uh some of the impact of sexual sins you know on people or you know it it can have terrible rep- you know um impact on individuals but I think that there are a lot of other things that I think you know on a uh you know greed I just have to use greed as an example because I think it's the one that is uh least uh, addressed in the context of the church um and I think you know money has become a blind spot um and I think our the people that have you know the what we might call the sexual sinners have been scapegoated it's just easy to pick on them um and I, I think and I think sometimes we read Paul and you know I think sometimes Paul can can say some very strong things uh particularly related to sexuality but if we read Paul divorced you know if we we read the teaching of Paul divorced from the posture of Jesus then we end up with a very harsh kind of uh, rules and regulations around human sexuality. And I think we've got to go back to Jesus and look at the posture of Jesus. And I think, uh, you know, the times where we do see him engage people that are broken in their sexuality, it's they are incredibly graceful encounters. Um, so I think we've got to, you know, yeah, just 
just reassess the way we've been, um, yeah, judging people, I guess. You've been listening to another episode of Restoring the Soul. Learn more about how we cultivate freedom and wholeness of heart at RestoringTheSoul.com. Thank you.